If you have a Bible, if you would grab it and please turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We are returning to our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we begin now with chapter 6. We continue with chapter 6. When you get to chapter 6 of Matthew, which is deadpan sinner, almost, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus turns a corner from showing us in chapter 5 those bad deeds that we are to avoid. And then he shows us in chapter 6 those good deeds, which sometimes can be for Christians actually the greatest source of temptation for them. Because we all want to be people who are liked. We all want to be people who are focused on our religious duties. But sometimes the way that we serve him can oftentimes reveal the depths of sin in our hearts. Because we can use good things in very bad ways. So if you would give your attention please to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read beginning at verse 1 and go down through verse 4. If you'd stand with me for the reading of God's word. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before them as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets when they, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. Father, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but we pray that your word will change us because it stands forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Two stories, one point. Story number one. There's a man sitting in his living room with his laptop open. This has happened to many of you, I'm sure. And his two-year-old walks up to him with a tasty treat, a plastic donut. And he brings this treat to his father and he says to his father on this little plate that he'd carried over from the play kitchen in the corner and he presents it to his father who is working and immersed in his job and he hands it to his father and he says, Daddy, I brought something for you. To which the father says, oh, get away from me, kid. No, no, no. To which the father does what? What would you do if your child did that for you? The child looks down from his laptop, he closes it, he looks at his child, and he takes him in his arms, and he takes that donut, and he says, oh, thank you so much. Mm, 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 it's so good. You've had that experience, haven't you? Now, does that father need that plastic donut, though it be covered with chocolate and with sprinkles? Is that plastic donut valuable to that father? Did that child satisfy the father's taste in any way? No, it's a piece of plastic. But something happened in that exchange, didn't it? That father and that child 
had a moment together. They connected. And that child, though the donut is not real, had a very real delight in his child, did he not? And that child, though he doesn't really know that that donut is essentially valueless to the father, took incredible delight and with joy on his face or her face looked up at his father or her father and received and basked in the glow of his father's love. So, a plastic donut means nothing to the father, but yet it delights the heart of a father. What Jesus is trying to show you and me in Matthew chapter 6 is that there is a way to practice your spiritual disciplines in a way that delights your father. And there is a way to practice your spiritual disciplines in a way that allows you to bask in his fatherly affection for you. But the Pharisees were professionals at making sure that everybody else saw how good they were and yet they never had that kind of moment like you have with a plastic donut. Jesus says very clearly in this passage, if you give to the poor in order to be seen by men, you have had your reward. Now notice Jesus says what? He says, when you, he doesn't say when you practice your righteousness, period. He expects, obviously, for all of us to practice our righteousness. He expects us to do the three disciplines that he calls us to do in Matthew chapter 6. Namely, to give, and as we looked at during Advent, to pray, and as we'll look at in a month, to fast. He assumes we're going to do those things. But notice it also doesn't say that when you practice your righteousness before other people, period. Doesn't stop there either, does it? Because he assumes that you're going to practice your righteousness. It's going to be seen by other people. Like, it would be awkward and even kind of weird. Like, if you, like, hid your righteousness before. You're just, it's just going to be who you, if you're going to try to bask in your father's delight, like, people are going to see you loving other people well. It's okay. So he assumes people are going to see you. But what does the text say? It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That is Jesus' point. Story number two. There's a guy I know who's incredibly wealthy. He uh, works in New York City. He has everything that he needs. He's got a nice apartment on the Upper East Side. He spends money um, like crazy, buys the nicest stuff. He is fiercely concerned that people see him as a really successful, wealthy person. And he has a friend who's become more than a friend to him. She's even become his girlfriend, which those of you who've ever lived in New York or know anything about the East, like you don't have girlfriends until you're like 45 in New York. But he does. He's a young man. He fell in love with this girl. It's awesome. He loves how she makes him feel. He loves that she's around him. She loves how... He loves how she pours into him. And so he decides that he is going to propose 
to his girlfriend. And he is going to do it at Rockefeller, Rockefeller Square or Center on the ice in the winter with, in front of the big Christmas tree that you have all seen on TV with all the people around and people in the restaurant with the seats on the glass being able to watch the skaters go by. Everybody's going to see this incredible act of love. And so this incredibly wealthy man who can buy anything that he wants, he goes out and he buys a ring and he tells his friends and they all come to Rockefeller Center and at the right time he bends down on his knee and he pulls out a cheap metal ring with a cubic zirconia on it. In fact it's so cheap that he forgot to take the price tag off and it says $250. And he pulls it out and he says to his girlfriend, will you marry me? The Pharisees, friends, the religious conservatives of the day, were very, very concerned that people saw their acts of righteousness. And my friend undoubtedly had lots of people in audience to watch him. And from a distance, it looked like what? It looked like he had given her a huge rock, this beautiful engagement ring. But the truth of the matter is it was a $250, yeah, cubic zirconia. So also, so also, is that the way that I treat my Heavenly Father in the way that I give my money? Oh, I want to give something. I want to give to the poor. And many of us bask in wealth that we are just, it is amazing how wealthy we are, every one of us. And yet when it comes to us giving to the Lord, we give him this two-bit cubic zirconia in order so that everybody else can see, yes, I got this statement at the end of the year I gave to the church. But it was just essentially for show. Jesus goes after the Pharisees in this passage to say that a telltale sign of your heart is not only if you give, and it is assumed that every one of those who call themselves Christians do give, every one, but of the motivations for which you give. Do you see these two contradictory pictures? Like, do you see the joy that Jesus is trying to bring out in this text of saying to the one, the boyfriend who gives the cheap ring to the girlfriend, oh buddy, congratulations, thanks for coming. You got all the reward you're gonna get because I guarantee you that girlfriend ain't gonna be too jazzed about it. But he gave her a ring in front of all these people. But she knew it was cheap. And then you have a little baby two-year-old who brings to their daddy a plastic donut, which essentially, relative to the father, is valueless. And there's a moment. Yum, 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 yum. Thank you so much. That is the beauty of the gospel. In this passage, when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, he gives them a very particular word for reward. It's the Greek word misstone. It is the idea of you receiving your wages. Of if you do a job for someone, they pay them a fair wage for the job that you've done. Jesus here says that when you give to the needy, you will have 
no reward if you give, you practice your righteousness in order to be seen by others. You'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Why? Because he knows it's cheap. He knows it wasn't from your heart. But, Jesus says, when you give and you give in secret, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now in English, look, in verse 4, it's the word reward. Up in verse 1, it says the word reward. But this is where the English language fails us because it's in Greek two completely different words. The first is misstone. It's like a wage or a payment, right? You, you, I mow your yard, you pay me a fair wage for that. But in the end, it's the Greek word apodidomai, which means it is an investment with endless return. So, Jesus' point is very simple. If you strive for the glory and the applause of men, you will get it. But that is all you'll get. On the other hand, if you give for the glory of the Lord, you will get far more than you ever imagined. I'm going to say that point again. If you strive, friends, if you strive to live for the glory of men, the glory of men in Owasso, at the University of Tulsa, at Bartlesville, and Collinsville, if you strive, you're getting, you can get it. Like, you are probably able to get it. You could wear yourself out, and you could get successful enough to get it. But that is all you will get. It's as though Jesus says to the Pharisees, you've had your reward. Thank you for coming. That's it. You sold your soul out to get the applause of men. And I hope you enjoyed it. But if you give to the Lord for his own glory, then you receive far more than you would ever imagine. It is an investment with infinite returns. So, in just a few moments before we take the supper, I just want us to narrow in on this passage just for a minute to help us assess whether or not we are the child handing the father a plastic donut in the way that we give our money, or if we are like the boyfriend who wants to look the part and gives his girlfriend something cheap. Hmm? Let's look. Jesus says, but when you give to the needy, but, it's a contrast, it's day in Greek. It means he's changing course. The Pharisees, you know, he doesn't want them to sound a trumpet. They're blasting a trumpet. Spurgeon one time said the definition of a hypocrite is when they hold a penny in one hand and a trumpet in the other. You don't sound a trumpet. But when you give to the needy, which assumes that all of you give, all of you give. Do you give? Like, there are, in church circles, there are what are called um, tippers, occasional givers, tithers, and impact givers. And most of us tip. I guess. I don't know. I don't know what you give. Most of us just say, yeah, I'm going to give something to the church. But we give out of a fierce sense of insecurity, wanting to give something, but not really knowing how much it delights our Father in heaven when we give. Yum, 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 yum. He sings over you. And it, the text says, 
when you give, you do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, what does that mean? When you give, it means you give in a self-forgetful kind of way. What do I mean by that? I'm just going to speak from experience here for a second. Listen, there's a way that you can give. That you give, you write a check, for example, to this church or some other ministry, and you think about what you gave, and you just revel in it. You know what I'm talking about. This sometimes is a natural occurrence when you give a certain, you, you give a certain amount of money that it's a good thing to rejoice over. But if you're not careful, it's like, whoa, I gave a lot of money this year. And then you suddenly become a little self-congratulatory about that. And you take a subtle pride in it. And you begin to wonder, though you have no idea, I wonder who else gave as much money as I did, if anybody is as spiritual as me. When it says in the text, you do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, essentially what it's saying is you do not become self-conscious about your giving. Yes, you think about it beforehand, and of course you give. But you do so in a joyful, self-forgetful kind of way. In other words, you write the check and you let it go. There's a sense in which you don't let your neighbor know what it is. There's a sense in which you don't even let yourself know what it is, in a sense. You know what I mean? You're able to give and give joyfully and move on because it is the delight of the Father that captivates your heart and not looking again at that donut and wondering, oh my gosh, look how beautiful those sprinkles are. You give the donut, you want the delight. That is the essence of when you serve the Lord, whatever spiritual discipline it is. And we're just talking here about money. And friends, listen, if I preached to you about money as much as Jesus did, we wouldn't even have a church. Because money is for us like, it's the way C.S. Lewis describes rats in your house. Like all throughout the Gospels, when you read them, it's like Jesus is talking about something completely different. All of a sudden, boom, your possessions. Or he's talking about like your struggle with sin and all of a sudden, and boom, don't lay up treasures for your, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus like drops in these comments about money all throughout the Gospels. Like Lewis describes rats in your house. What does he mean? Lewis says that when you flip the lights on in your house, very suddenly, you can find the rats. But if you make a lot of noise before you open the door and flip the lights on, the rats have time to scurry. If you're prepared for sermons on money, Jesus knows, they're not going to really hit you very hard. But if you just flip the lights on, you're able to see the rats in your heart, so to speak. And so here we are in a passage about the practices of disciplines in the Christian life. And of course, Jesus begins with all that he could have started with. He begins with the way you spend your money. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, do you give in a self-forgetful kind of way? Do you give in a joyful kind of way? The child who gave the donut to his father was not concerned about that donut. He was concerned about his father's affection. And do you know that scripture is true when it says, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Some people have a hard time with the idea that God rewards you based upon what you do. Did that child who gave the donut to his father, for example, did he become any more or less that father's child? Did giving the donut to the father make that child more a son or a daughter? No. Objectively, he was always a son or daughter to the father, right? 
But did giving that donut to the Father delight the heart of his Father? Of course. And did it delight the heart of the child? Yes, it made him bask in his love and in his security. What does it mean when it says you will be rewarded by the Father? How does the Father reward us? There are tendencies in certain camps to say, no, let's not talk about rewards at all because it's not, you don't work for your righteousness. Let's not talk about how God rewards you. You've been given everything in Jesus. Objectively, that is true. You have been justified by faith and that you are his. You can never be less a son of your Father in heaven. But the reason, the reason why many of us lack joy in our Christian life is because we don't bask in the glow of our Father's love for us. Because we're not even worried about the Father. We're over here in the corner doing our own thing. But when you come and you serve Him and you spend time in His Word and prayer, when you come and you give joyfully to Him and sacrificially to Him, you are able to bask in the presence of His love. And that is what the Lord means when He says, I will reward you. It is not only a future event. It is a present experience. And it is an experience of your Father's unbelievable security and reminder to you of how much he cares for you and he loves you. Just like that little baby basked in the delight of his father. It is a reminder to you that God knows what you need and he sees you. Of course, he always sees you. He knows you're over there in the corner, of course. But he wants to bring you close. And he's not always gonna go over to the corner and pull you close to him because you just don't wanna come sometimes. You're gonna kick and scream. And so in those precious moments through spiritual disciplines, when you have the time to draw near to your Father, you're not interrupting Him. He loves it when you do that. Do you get the picture with me? I don't want to beat a dead horse. But I just want to help us to be honest in the reason why we strive for the spiritual disciplines for which we strive. And that as God's people, we are after an apodidomai, not after a misstone. We are after a reward from the Father, which is his all-embracing love and delight, that moment between that two-year-old and that father when they bask in each other's joy. It's beautiful. That's what we want. And friends, that is what's gonna make this church and your life appealing to non-believers. It's not gonna be the way the church operates because we've had enough injuries from the church in this area the last 25 years. It's not gonna be from the way that our bulletins look. It's gonna be from the way that you delight in your Father's love when you're outside these four walls. Do you? Oh, I hope that you do. And I hope that you'll pray for me to do the same thing. Because when you begin to look at what the Lord teaches us about giving. It is not about trying to get him to love you more. He loves you as much as he possibly can love you. It is about experiencing that love in a subjective way by allowing him to wrap his arms around you and to whisper over you, thank you. Mm -hmm. This is so great. Even though the Lord of the universe doesn't need your money, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And when we can be honest and when we can be able to give generously and when we can able to experience the, the, the delight of the Father, then that's when we begin to understand the Sermon on the Mount. Because the Sermon on the Mount is given to us to be a picture of what citizens in the kingdom look like. And those citizens look like people who take joy 
and their king's presence and rule. So, over the next two weeks, we're going to think about this passage and in the rest of chapter 6, the issue of money. And I am not doing this. I'm not doing this because we are not a church that gives generously, for indeed we are, and it's wonderful. I am doing this to help check the motivations of our heart and encourage us all the more to be generous for His glory's sake and not your own. And not even the glory of Trinity Presbyterian Church. It delights me to no end to know that you gave $14,721 for the Christmas offering, which was we asked for $12,000. You gave above and beyond that. Like that is, that's to be celebrated. That's awesome. It really is a cool thing that we did that above and beyond our tithes. And I'm not going to tell you, let's do more. What I'm going to tell you is I want you to delight in your father as you give. And I want you to watch how the Lord allows you to give more when you do that. When you take joy in his reward, not for the praise of men, but for the delight of knowing that when you trust him with what he's given you, he will smile down upon you and sing over you his love. Friends, do you talk as a family about what you will give to Christ's kingdom or what you will invest into the poor in our area through various ministries? Have you ever talked about that as a family? Why not? Or if so, Talk about that with your community groups this week, about what that conversation looks like because we need to hear experiences and train people up. We're not telling these stories to boast. We're trying to help each other grow and being more and more honest about the way that we are called to be stewards of everything that the Lord gives us, including our finances. Jesus begins chapter six with three disciplines, giving, prayer, and fasting. And he expects every one of us to be joyfully and sacrificially giving to him. And we can do so because we have the delight of the Father. Because we have a Savior who didn't just give a plastic donut to his Father, but he laid down his life. He did it secretly. When they said, who are you? Are you king of the Jews? Jesus did not utter a word, but he went as a sheep to be slaughtered without saying a thing. He did it in secret in the presence of his father. And instead of receiving the father's, yum, 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 this is so good, I love it. Jesus received the back of his father and his utter rejection on the cross so that we would never have that experience again if you're in Christ. And he holds out the gospel to you to say not only with your finances, but with everything in your life, do you know you have a Savior who delights in you and loves you so much? Oh, that you would see that. And oh, that you would believe. Let's prepare for the table as we pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to see that you love it when we give to you our gifts. Though they may feel, though they indeed are valueless to you because you do not need our money. You take delight in them. Thank you, Father, that you sing over us and that you take us up in your arms and that you love it when we obey your word and you want to shower us with the presence of your joy and delight. Would you help us, Lord Christ, who feel far from you to come out of that corner, 
to come close to you, to present to you our lives, our giving, our prayers, our everything, and to bask in your wild acceptance and love for us. Would you do that for our sake? Would you lead us now into repentance for the times when we've been fearful of you, thinking that you would judge us based upon what we presented to you, when all the while you tell us in your word that if we trust in Jesus' finished work, we are already your child and we can never lose it. Oh, Father, help us to live as your children, basking in your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.